Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today we're moving into Acts chapter 20 on our teaching on the importance of revival, the anatomy of revival, and talk about Paul taking some time off, relaxing, preaching in churches he had been to, but then having a minister's conference at the end of the chapter. Join me, you're gonna enjoy this chapter immensely. For more than 40 years, Bob Yanyan has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome and glad to have you to Student of the Word today. And this is number 10. We have been two weeks on the subject of the anatomy of revival. We still have a couple more lessons to go as we take up now in Acts chapter 20, the transition from the revival, which started at the closing of chapter 18, broke out in great uh, triumph and a great power in chapter 19 of Acts, and then made a closing at the end of chapter 19. The revival itself, as it was started, is waning. But now in chapter 20 of Acts, Paul will come back after one year, after the revival was, was closing down, to find out what's happening in the city. And again, the end result of revival is not more revival. Revival does come to an end, but the end of revival is local churches to where now thousands of people have now understood, I have the power and authority that Paul did when he came here and started this revival, when he came here and preached the gospel, when he came here and taught the word, I have the same power, I have the same gospel, and I have the same Bible he did. And now people are learning it in churches under pastors who now stand in Paul's place, and they too can now begin to take responsibility in the church and responsibility in winning their city for the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So that's what's going to happen in this chapter. Now, honestly, let's come back to it again. Paul has been three years in the city of Ephesus. He'll bring that out in this chapter. And so he was there for three years. And at the end of three years, he's tired. Oh, yeah. But here's the first thing. He's tired. And in this chapter, he will take uh, time off for a vacation with his uh, workers that, he, that have traveled with him. But at the beginning of Acts chapter 20, he is so far behind. He feels like it in all these churches he helps to start. And for three years, hasn't been back. He's going to start going back to places and people that he knew before the revival to find out what's been going on because his mind is naturally going, what's happened since I'm not there? There's this attitude sometimes that comes over you as a minister. I have it too, just as human as you are, but I haven't been there for some time. What's happened to those people? Look, God has them. And Paul's going to realize when he gets there, God's had them. And even though I haven't been here and I've been involved in this great revival that's been going on, well, then you know what? It's understandable. I started them with God. They've continued with God. And yeah, they've made mistakes and failures that they might not have made if I was here. But guess what? Their heart's been right toward God and God's going to make it okay. And Paul's going to find out these guys are doing pretty good. So this chapter begins, actually Acts chapter 20, now is the closing part of the entire book of Acts. This is going to be, as Paul goes back to churches, he has started. He's going to have imprisonments during this time. He's going to have some other riots during this time in Jerusalem. And he's going to eventually be killed. He's going to be uh, taken in and beheaded. And so by the time we come to the end of Acts, uh, Acts, the book itself, Paul is, this is the waning part of the book of Acts. And then after this, we go to books on local churches and that Paul wrote letters to. We have Romans and Galatians and Corinthians and all the other ones that uh, he's written to these different cities and the, and the ministers and the people there. But again, all these other cities started the same way. It started with signs, wonders, and miracles when he came to the city. And then after that, people got uh, born again. Churches began. Paul went to another city, but it never lasted three years like this one in Ephesus. The, the city of Ephesus and the revival that was there rocked the entire 
Asian world at that time. And then uh, even the people said those have turned the world upside down. That was the Roman world in the provinces of uh, Asia and starting with Ephesus that literally rocked the world and started set, and started six other churches in major areas around there. The seven churches of Asia found in uh, chapter one, two, and three of Revelation. The six of them started out of the one church, Ephesus, which is the first book church mentioned there. The first one is Ephesus. After that, the other ones that started from Ephesus and great things happened. But again, chapter 20 of Acts now marks the declining of the book of Acts, the ending of the book of Acts to where we go into the individual churches. Notice what's Acts. Acts means acts. It's deeds and uh, signs and wonders and miracles of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of churches. But by the time we come to the book of Romans next, you have individual churches. That is again, the end of revival. Acts represents revival. The churches of Ro uh, Romans and Galatians represent the outcome of revival because the end of revival is not more revival. The end of revival is local churches. So Acts chapter 20, let's go and let's begin with verse one. It says, after the uproar was ceased, and of course, this is the great riot that broke out uh, in the city of Ephesus and then turned into a big mob. And the mob was about to kill people when finally the mayor stepped in and stopped the whole thing and brought it back to a principle of law that if this is something you're breaking the law, you'll stand accountable for it. If it's something you want to take to a law system, that's fine. But we're about to lose even with this thing going on. It is so illegal what you're doing that we could lose our very much our Roman citizenship and the privileges and rights and things that you have, the freedoms you have that have been given to us by Rome are about to be taken away. So again, at the end of uh, the previous chapter, chapter 19, the people just stop and go home. And verse one now goes back to that again. Here's what happened. Here's what happened back at the ranch. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called to himself the disciples, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. He's going back where he, uh, again, was called to start in Macedonia. And Paul called the converts, the church leaders, which had come to know the Lord and had become disciples during the past three years of revival in Ephesus. Paul embraced them and then headed for the northern parts of Greece. He'll be there for almost one full year. On this trip, Paul's going to go to Troas and meet with Titus. And this is brought out in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, also chapter 7, also chapter 13. This meeting that Paul had uh, with Titus and then trained him as his troubleshooter. Now, Paul had two major people, Timothy and Titus. Timothy was like his son. In fact, he called him his son. He also called Titus his son, but the closest one to Paul himself was Timothy. But Timothy did not have the backbone that that Titus did. Paul could take Titus and put him somewhere and forget about it. Titus would come out after uh, he went to the island of Crete. Paul thought he would desert him, leave him there. In fact, in the opening verses of, of Titus, he said, I, des I left you at Crete. The Greek word means I deserted you at Crete. I thought I'd never see you again. Crete was so bad. And one year later, Titus comes walking into Paul and had tamed the island. And of course, the book of Titus tells us how he did that. He found older mature men to teach the younger men, older mature women to teach the younger women. And he delegated it and turned that island around. And then later on, went back and became the, the leader over the island. 
became the bishop over the island of Crete. And of course, this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. Like I said, chapter 7, chapter 13 also tells of Paul's meeting with Titus and then trained him as his troubleshooter. With Timothy again, Paul had trouble. He needed watching over, but Titus could walk in and basically just you know jerk the slack out of the people and turn it around quickly. Paul will send him to Corinth later on and he will bring back word that the trouble in the church has been solved. Again, what Timothy couldn't do that much, then Titus came in and did. And so that's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 through 16. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians and Romans while he was in Macedonia during that year. Paul wanted to visit Macedonia again because of the faithful brothers who had stood financially with him during his hardships in Corinth. And that was, of course, as Paul went there and first started out at Philippi, how that they just stood with him as partners. Paul had become great friends with them. They were close to his hearts, and that's the first ones he wanted to see. For three years, he has not been able to see them. Verse two goes on to say, and when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And so Paul recovered the path, went back over the path into Berea, Thessalonica and Philippi, exhorted the disciples this time because he had not been able to do what he wanted to do the first time when he came and preached. He had been run out of the town each time, had not been able to teach, exhort, or confirm the souls of the churches. And now that the trouble had settled down, he could come back and build up the members of the congregation of the churches that he had helped to start. He could also thank them for their tremendous financial gifts brought by Timothy and Silas in Acts chapter 18 and verse 5. After Paul left Macedonia, now he's going to head to Achaia. Verse 3, and he stayed there for three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him and he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So during the three months, Paul was in Achaia. He wrote the epistle to the Romans. During this time also, the Jews made an assassination attempt on his life. The Jews hated him because of the tremendous amount of success he was having. And the Jews were even on board of a ship that Paul was going to catch to Syria. But while on board, the Jews would try to kill him. But instead, Paul determined to go to Macedonia. I love this. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. And, and Paul might not even recognize as the Holy Spirit. It might have been such a gentle nudge. He thought, well, I just think I will walk. So Paul is directed by the Spirit without even his knowledge, and he thought he was determined to do this himself, and he was being prompted to go to Macedonia by the Holy Spirit. So he traveled another way, and he walked. In fact, a couple of times he's going to walk, and in some cases up to 20 miles. So again, we'll never know until we get to heaven how many times the Holy Spirit led us without even our knowledge. It was just something so gentle. We thought, oh, this is just me, and we decided to do something. When we get to heaven, find out there was a trap laid for us. There, there might have been something. A friend of mine told me, you know, he was driving to work one day, and he was headed the normal way that he was going, and just thought, nah, I think I'll just take another road. I think I'll go a different way. And he went a different way, not knowing that down the road there was a wreck and he would have been there at the time of the wreck and probably would have been in the wreck. Didn't know it till later when he heard it on the news, knew the timing of it and realized something. I thought that was me. It was really the Holy Spirit just telling me, why don't you take another way to work this time? So we've been protected and guided by angels, the Holy Spirit. We have actually probably had traps laid ahead for us by Satan and we've walked right past them doing something else. This is all part of the walk of faith. There's 
there's times that the Holy Spirit can directly tell me and tell you what's about to happen to protect you. Other times you just think, I'll just, I've just changed my mind. And when you get to heaven, find out how much protection there really was of the Holy Spirit. Verse four says, and there accompanied him in Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy from Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. This is Paul's traveling team. Whenever he leaves again out of Ephesus, these are the ones that are going with him that have joined him while he's in Ephesus. This is his traveling team, but also his seminary into Macedonia. Uh, again, it comes back to this. You can go to Bible schools and it's wonderful, have a great you know diploma on the wall, but working next to people is the most important part of all. In fact, if you have to take a choice, I'd rather to work with people than go to a Bible school. It's nice when you can have both. Go to a Bible school and help in churches while you're in Bible school. Get out of Bible school. Stand with a pastor somewhere. Work in a church before you finally take over. But this is Paul's basically, again, his seminary, and they're going to receive on-the-job training. They'll be taught and shown the calling and operation of the apostle, and many will be left to establish churches along the way. Berea was where the word was received with readiness of mind. I love this church. Chapter 17 and verse 4 said they received the word with readiness of mind and even went and checked out if Paul was correct. This is the place where believers were commended for searching out the scriptures to verify the teaching of Paul. Even Paul said so. So again, when we come back, we'll take up from here in the second half of the broadcast. See you right after the break. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by His Spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyendian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com 
and click on Partnership. Paul's team has mentioned here that we're traveling with him. Let me just occupy you with some of the names here. Sopater came from Berea. And again, he was a strong and wonderful believer. Aristarchus and Secundus were from Thessalonica. Aristarchus was almost killed in Ephesus. That's found in chapter 19 and verse 29 and will visit Paul in prison. Acts 27, Colossians 4, Philemon 24. He came to visit Paul in prison. Gaius was from Derby was with Aristarchus in the Ephesian uprising against Paul. That was in chapter 19 and verse 29. And Tychicus, as mentioned, is being on Paul's team. He delivered the letters of Ephesus and Philippi, the Ephesian letter and the Philippian letter, from Paul who was in prison. This is found in many verses of scripture, Ephesians 6.21, Colossians 4.7, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Titus chapter 3. Again, one of Paul's greatest ones is Tychicus. And uh, again, what a tremendous believer Trophimus is mentioned here, and he'll be the innocent party in a riot in Jerusalem later on in chapter 21 and verse 19. He later has an attack of sickness from Satan, can't shake it. His faith becomes weak and Paul has to leave him sick at Miletus in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. All these things are brought out in the word of God. You say, well, why are all these little things brought out? To let you know something, they're as human as you are. They have the same problems you do. I mean, for those that stand there and say, oh, you know, I don't get sick anymore. And then you find out you do. Once in a while you do. You know, it simply says, come back to this for just a moment. You haven't arrived yet. The word is given to us so we won't sin. But do you sin once in a while? Yes, you do. So quit holding this thing over yourself. Come to your advocate, Jesus Christ, and confess your sins. It'll be taken care of. And understand that now that you've passed this and you know you've, you, you've committed this sin, next time you won't do it. And so again, you grow. And the point of it is, stop and think about this. If the Bible says these things right, we unto you that you sin not, have you reached that point of never sinning? No. Well, then quit getting so discouraged when you do. Stop for just a moment and look how far you've come. Are you better today than you were five years ago? Are you better today than you were 10 years ago? The answer should be a resounding yes, yes, yes. Well, then rejoice at how far you've come and quit getting discouraged at how far you have to go. When you fail, just get up, shake it off, ask God to forgive you and go on your way. That's the beauty of it. These things write we unto you that you sin not, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, let's go to chapter 20 again, verse five. And these going ahead waited for us in Troas. Paul is mentioned here that he has gone ahead of them, but us was Paul and Luke. And so uh, they waited for us in Troas and Paul and Luke were going by themselves and Luke is the one writing this. So when Luke writes us, he was simply saying he was part of this group of people. Paul's team went ahead of Paul and waited for Paul and Luke in Troas. And Luke rejoins the team at this time and again writes the word us, referring to Paul and to Luke and to the team. Verse six says, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and we came to them. That's through Samothracia in chapter 16 and verse 11 of Acts to Troas in five days where we stayed for seven days. Unleavened bread lasts for a full week and Paul is wanting to be in Jerusalem on Pentecost, which is after unleavened bread. And again, to be there, and that's found in verse 16 where he's gonna mention here, I really wanna be at the Feast of Pentecost, which will be 50 days later. The trip to Troas is usually two days. Apparently on the way, Paul preached for a while in Samothracia. In verse seven, it says, and on the first day of the week, that's Sunday. In the New Testament, the church is met on Sunday. 
in the Old Testament, the day of, of worship and the day for, uh, you know, not working was on Saturday, the Sabbath. But in the New Testament, they met on Sunday because, not because God said so, but because it was the day of resurrection. That's told us in the book of 1 Corinthians. They met there because it was on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus was resurrected. It's interesting. That's also the day they brought their uh, tithes to the Lord, the first fruits. I think this is interesting. Sunday is the first fruits of the week. They gave the first fruits of their offering, representing the first fruits of their salvation, Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? That's why Sunday is so important. Not that it is special. You can worship on any day. And if there's reasons why your church can't meet on Sunday, there's no difference between Sunday and Monday. So have church on Monday or have church on Saturday or whatever day you meet and understand something. No day is more special than another. It's just tradition to represent the first fruits of the week to represent the first fruits of your salvation, Jesus Christ, and give the first fruits of your offering to the Lord on that day. And so again, it says in verse seven, on the first day of the week, that Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, they not only came to have service, they came to eat and they came to have communion. Paul preached to them, ready to depart in the morning, but continued his sermon until midnight. Man, some of you think that I could hold you a long time. Paul preached until midnight that night, but something happened before midnight, all right? And so the early disciples again met to worship. The verse I was referring to on the first day of the week was 1 Corinthians 16, verses one and two. And this is when they gave their offering, their uh, tithes to the Lord on the first day of the week and not on Saturday. Again, they did this to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was resurrected on Sunday. Now on this day, it was a custom to have church service, celebrate communion, followed by the teaching of the word of God and Paul preached on that day. Verse eight, there were many oil lamps in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Paul's preaching in an upper room, just like Jesus did. Upper rooms were rentable. And so they were located in many cities, usually above a restaurant or a tavern for public meetings and people could rent these things. So they rented it every Sunday to have church there and there were many windows in the building. And since it went so far into the evening and all the way to midnight, they turned on the oil lamps and they set them by each one of the windows. And so the windows were open windows. There was no glass on them. There was no uh, anything to stop you from falling out. And people sat on the windows, on the sill of the windows, and it was three floors down to the, to the street below. And so in verse nine, and there set in a window, a certain young man named Eutychus, having fallen into a deep sleep. Well, you know, I've seen people fall asleep in my church services. One man even fell out into the aisle asleep and didn't wake up when he fell out. So the ushers had to come and wake him up and help get him out of there. And I only preached for, you know, 40 minutes to an hour and he fell asleep. So here's a young man as this thing has gone into the evening, into the nighttime. He fell into a deep sleep, verse nine says, and Paul was preaching a long time and he sunk down with sleep and fell out the third loft window and they picked him up dead. This was a teenage boy. And so while sitting in the room with the lamps, he became warm and he fell asleep and he might've fought the sleep for a while, but finally it was overcome. He fell out and died on the pavement below. And when the disciples ran out to pick up his body, Paul is right behind them. It says in verse 10, and Paul went down and fell on him 
embraced him and said, don't trouble yourself. In other words, stop wailing. I love that's what the Weist translation says. Stop your crying. Stop your wailing over him for his life is in him. He's simply saying, now I'm praying over him. His life's gonna come back to him. This is the same thing in the word of God that Elijah did in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 21. And Elisha did in 2 Kings chapter four and verse 34. These two boys died and the mothers were going beside themselves. And so Elijah and Elijah, Elisha both laid themselves on the child and the child came back to life. And so now Paul is doing this. And so this is the type of prayer for healing, an exchange of life. Paul assures the men that the boy will live because the life that is in him has also now put life into this young man in the name of Jesus. The people that hung around the young boy were in hysterics and Paul quiets them. And then it says in verse 11, when he therefore had come up again and had broken bread and eaten, he talked for a long while, even till the break of day. So he departed. The break of day was not sunrise. It was after midnight. And so this happened before midnight and Paul went back and just kept on preaching. Ha, I think there's times when, you know, there's times I've interrupted my sermons. I never got back to it. Paul didn't even let the death of a young boy uh, stop him. He just went back and started preaching again. So Paul went back upstairs, ate with the disciples, then continued his sermon until after midnight. Verse 12, and they brought the young boy back alive and were greatly comforted. Apparently the boy was well known. The crowd was not only ecstatic over the miracle, but they were also relieved that the boy was back alive again. So Paul continues on, verse 13 in his travel, going from place to place that he hasn't been for three years before we have the minister's meeting coming up in just a few verses. It says in verse 13, we went before or ahead of the ship and sailed into Asos, uh, there intending to take aboard Paul, for he had appointed or told us uh, himself that he would go afoot. Luke traveled with the team in the ship, but Paul had decided to walk to Asos, about 20 miles south of Troas. Apparently, Paul wanted to be alone to pray for direction, and he sent the disciples ahead and will meet them later. The Lord will instruct Paul to have a pastor's conference for all the pastors of Ephesus. What the Lord is simply saying is, you haven't got to come back to these guys for three years, but listen, the revival in Ephesus was so strong. We're coming up on a year. I want you to go back with them and encourage them and instruct them and build them up. And so Paul also was making up his mind to go to Jerusalem and preach to the believers who were there had become legalistic because he'd seen the condition of the church that was there in chapter 18 and verse 22, where Paul went back to Jerusalem, saw how bad the church was, and now he desires to go back and has desired for some time, and he's going to go back and become a blessing to the people, all right? And he's going to go to Jerusalem in the will of God and then go on to Rome after that. So the voyage in verses 14 and 15 here of this chapter will go down the coast to Miletus and Paul will spend a period of time relaxing in some of the most famous resort spots in the Mediterranean. And so it says in verse 14, when he met us at Asos, we took him in and we came to Mytilene. Mytilene is the capital of the island of Lesbos, a short distance from Asos. Lesbos is a resort island and our word lesbian comes from this island. And there was a famous resort island on the ancient world. Notice this, it didn't say Paul did anything. He just relaxed. It was one of the most beautiful places in the world. Verse 15, 
We sailed from there and the next day came opposite Chios. And the next day we arrived in Samos and stayed for a while in Tregillium, a city on Samos. And the next day we came to Miletus. All these places were places of resorts, places to relax in. Chios was famous for its wine. Samos was further down in the Aegean Sea from Chios. It was a famous resort for the Roman military, close to Ephesus and a free state under Rome. The temple of Hera was there. Her worship was similar to Diana, and Paul and his team stayed at the major city on Samos, Tregillium. In all of these cities, Paul and his men rested, understand rested. They didn't preach, witness, or evangelize, yet heathenism was everywhere. I could see him laying on the beach, and one of his, one of his travelers with him said, Paul, these people need Jesus. He said, here, give me your hand, let's pray. Someone will come and talk to them and preach to them. We are taking time off. The importance of rest. They didn't preach, witness, or evangelize. These cities had great need, but Paul and his team knew they needed the rest to complete what God had called them to do. They have finally arrived at Miletus where God instructed them to hold a conference for the pastors at Ephesus. And this would be Paul's first contact with these ministers since the riot broke out and Paul left Ephesus one year ago. Paul will now come to encourage the ministers, and next time we come back, this is what we'll talk about, the ministers' conference at Ephesus. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.